Hey, what's going on? This is Brandon Gredler, and as I tend to say right when I get off a plane, dude, fresh off the plane, konnichiwa, bitches. And that's because it's true. Just got back from the land of the AT aliens. It was good, but not as good as it was to be back in the studio with my friends Ben Gaddis, James Lanyon, talking about a recently published, or you know, not too recent, but essentially a third of the American workforce will be eliminated by 2030 due to artificial intelligence, robotics, and all of that stuff. So we talked about that. We talked about who's going to be affected. What can we do about it? Universal basic income. And we even have a message in there for the children, including real-time understanding of your health due to your excrement, which is my personal favorite part. You're going to have to tune in till the end. Uh, but before you do that, do me a favor. Hit pause, subscribe, rate, review, tell your friends, then hit back, play, tune in, and drink up. This is Cocktails and Questions. And we're back in the studio, episode 21, I do believe. It's 21 or 22? 22. It has a two in front of it. All right, it's got a two in front of it. doesn't matter. We're looking at each other. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. It's in the low 20s. Yeah, we'll go with that. Yes. Well, I feel like the old 60s, because I'm just off off the plane um, from the Dirty Bird, man. ATL. It was a good trip, but it's good to be back in the studio. And before we get into today's topic, uh, you know what's better than being back in the studio? What's that? What's that? Not being next to the full-grown man who ate an entire bag of popcorn oh. next to me on the flight and licked his fingers after every bite. <laughs> oh. I'm mid-50s, seemingly successful and employable, and this is how he chooses to spend a time on an aeroplane. Unbelievable. Yeah, my, Did you my, share any of his popcorn? I, dude, I was crawling out of my skin. <laughs> oh, God. The sound of him the licking his fingers, like, bleeding through my headphones. But oh, I, I got don't. into a nice um, elbow wrestling contest with a dude three times my size last week on the way back from New York, <laughs> which is like that gentle art. It's like a sort of a British gentleman sport. <laughs> and did you win? I, I did not. It was yeah. a draw. You were bested. Right? We actually bested staked out our various wrestling. places on the armrest and sort of called it a day. All right. Well, that's that's a little bit of me. I apologize for that. It's just on my mind. I can't get the, the sound out of my head. Um, and the other thing I can't get out of my head is this headline that came across earlier uh, from our friends over at McKinsey. And um, I think we started a lot of podcasts that start with clickbait. And this one was great because it hit center core, like fear of humans going away. Right? And it's... Uh, McKinsey, our friends over McKinsey said that by 2030, one third of the U.S. workforce will be displaced by by 2030, right? Um, which is 12 years away, just which around crazy. the corner. Yes. Which is holy shit. So you read these things, and you're like, well, I'm going to click on that, and I'm going to find out what happens. And so essentially, one third of the workforce. I think James, you looked at the U.S. labor force. So one third of that, we're talking anywhere between like 50, 60 million people are going to be displaced within the next 12 years, and 800 million globally. And so. Being the self-serving a-hole I tend to be, I immediately was like, what does that mean for me? Mm-hmm. What does that mean for me, right? Because I, hopefully, I'm still gainfully employed in 12 years, and or will I? Um, and it got, got me thinking, where is this going to happen? Who's going to get hit first? Um, I've got my own ideas, but you guys, I know you both read the article, read other articles. What are, what are we thinking here? Yeah, so the, it's a scary topic, and um, I think one of the even scarier things as you dive into it, both this report and then quite a few others, is that where it's going to hit is it's actually going to hit people with the lowest income and the lowest education. And so people who are already struggling are probably going to be the ones that find themselves out of a job. So you're going to see things like machine operators, 
you know, food workers, people in hmm. fast food restaurants. Um, you know, one of the ones that, uh, that really stood out to me is truck drivers. So it's estimated mm. that 1.7 million long haul truckers who actually get paid really well yep. compared to their education today will probably be some of the people who are most negatively impacted. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and um, the, the thing I first thought about when, when we were talking about this was secretaries. Right. And if you think back to like the 1950s and 1960s, you, know, you knew that you were on your way up the corporate ladder when you got your secretary and they handled all of your administrative tasks. It was almost as if that they were something that had been invented. Like we came up with this new thing. It's called a secretary and it will take your calls and it will write your memos and all of that other stuff. And where are they today? Right. And I, and I think about that. I think that's really important because I don't know that the discussion is whether or not we're going to like, quote unquote, lose jobs. In fact, if you, you know, I went and read the report and the research director was really clear. They said, it's not necessarily that people will lose their jobs. It's these jobs will go away. And to your point, right, there's correct. Unfortunately, I think a lot of jobs out there today that our economy depends on that aren't necessarily all that valuable. And the, the and that may sound um, sort of harsher or maybe a little cynical. The sick burn, bro. But, uh, <laughs> but, but the, 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 those are the ones to their point they're looking at. Early. And I don't think it's just things like fast food. You know, if you look at the implications for law practices, mm-hmm. you know, AI uh, has has been finding its way in there very, very quickly, if only because they monetize a lot of administrative busy work. Anyone who's ever dealt with a lawyer, That's right. I actually uh, had the the privilege of being involved with a situation Nay, many, many years the ago. Pleasure. Had the pleasure <laughs> of paying an attorney and watched her legal assistant pop open green screened Corel Word Perfect. And she was using templates that they had written years ago that they just filled in and they charged you $150, $200 an hour. Those are the things that is just going to be obliterated. There's going to be. So the, the idea is well, if the jobs are going away, but the people are still relatively employed, where are they going? And that's, I think, the big question coming out of it. What sort of transitional effects, what sort of, sort of dynamic evolutionary effect will this have on our workforce? Yeah, I, I think where it hits, I, I agree with both of you. So I spent some time with our friends over at MIT thinking about this stuff, thinking about artificial intelligence and really the augmentation of humans is, is what they're talking about. And some people have, have, have put it two ways, which is quite harsh to jump on James' uh, harsh I'm so burn bandwagon. I'm only one drink in Essentially, too. if you... And it, 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 Boiled it down really simply, and I, I don't know if I agree or disagree, but I'm curious to, as to your thoughts. Um, one, if you do your job in a spreadsheet, they're talking about you, right? If your main mortgage tool, broker, paralegal, yep. accountant. This sounds a lot like a Jeff Foxworthy yeah. opening. Yeah. If you, <laughs> if you work in a spreadsheet, you might get automated. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other one was if you think about the spectrum from uh, skilled labor to conceptual labor, mm-hmm. anything that's in between those two, they're talking about you. Right, so middle management. So those are kind of three takes on it because you went um, lower income, lower educated. Uh, you went with repeatable mm-hmm. menial tasks, and I'm talking more about like the middle. Um, do we think of one before the other? Do we do we agree with that? Do we disagree with that? I, I what are we missing? Well, I've seen another way that I've seen it broken down is more um, is it is it spreadsheets or is it more human based? Right, and I think yeah. in the report they talk about things like doctors, lawyers, teachers. Uh, and this is between now and 2030. Mm-hmm. So I think that what, what the what they believe is that AI and robotics probably won't be to the point where they can take over some of those more probably conceptual and um, person-to-person type interactions that could go in a number of different ways. 
so I thought that was kind of an interesting way of, of breaking it down. Yeah. Do you deal with humans? In robotics, as a core I really do think not? is the 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 key differentiator. So if you look, I mean, and we I know we've mentioned this on a previous podcast, but I'm a huge fan of the company Rethink Robotics. And in fact, if any business right now in in modern day turns out to be that company in the sci-fi movie that ends up destabilizing the world, it's probably going to be Rethink Robotics because they're thinking about it from all different angles. They're thinking about it from artificial intelligence, from automation, from human uh, machine design, all of these different things. And they've come up with Baxter and Sawyer, these robots. And the cool thing about them, at least from uh, an automation perspective, is um, you only have to train one. And then you stick the USB cord between all of them. Once it learns a task, it will train a whole other army. And so when I look at it, I normally am pretty skeptical of these economic sort of dystopian discussions. But man, that scale's hard to beat, right? If you think about that, that whole idea of like, well, you only have to train one like fry cook bot right once, and then you just plug it into 50 other fry cook bots. And then, all of, I mean, that's, that's where I think it explodes and it, and it happens very quickly. I, mean, I, I call it efficiency. Right, that sounds pretty efficient to me. And and one thing we got here to talk about displacement, and then we talked about augmentation. And I, I started by saying that I went inward out of fear, and like, is it me? Right, and I'd thought about it before, but every time I see that, I that thought process goes through my mind. So let me back up just a little bit and ask if you guys are concerned about it. Do you believe in the dystopian point of view, or do you believe in something like augmentation? Right, and so when you when you study AI and you think about the industrial waves that have happened human beings are constantly displacing themselves from their own inventions and we're still here is this somehow different are we talking about a more dystopian displacement or is this just the next version of i believe that it will be the next version of yeah for agreed the next 40 years so uh, at that point beyond that it could get really, it could get really weird, and and I, I, I don't know. I mean, I want to, I want to have a positive outlook on it, but I think that you're going to have augmentation where menial tasks are taken off your plate, um, where optimization wins, and people are allowed to go do the other things that they're either more passionate about or better suited to do. That will continue up to a point when you get to this sort of general intelligence or general AI, and then at that point. The question is, do humans really need to work? And instead, what should they do? That's a broader question that I, I can't answer yet. So that's the question. Because if you look at, um, I'm, I'm going to over-typify, but um, I, I've seen a couple of instances where people were forced into retirement and that was the only thing they had going and they let their demise quickly thereafter. And you see the same thing in relationships. Couples are married together for like 50, 60 years. One couple dies two years later gone. I mean, people need purpose. And yeah. a lot of times our work is our purpose. So when I think about the, the implications, before I even get into like what kind of jobs are going to be, I think about the mass civil unrest that this could cause. I mean, that's what I actually spend most of my time pondering. Because if you think about it, we're not even scratching the surface of where this technology can go. And we're already, and I'm, I'm not getting political, but I will say the last election was won largely on Make America Great Again. Mm -hmm. And we're in a very, very early stage of what this can do. There's already a lot of... Um, uh, unhappiness about where people are in their life. So to answer your question, Brandon, I think there could be a knee-jerk reaction with something like universal basic income as a means not necessarily to be good humans or good citizens or good neighbors, but just to keep people from burning the shit out of their communities and yeah. just to like, keep people from sliding into some sort of trough. You know what 
I, I saw I came across something and uh, before we get into the universal basic income, which I think we have to talk about, Can't one not. of the things that was in that report is that most of the poorer nations actually won't be as impacted by this. That was a stat, and I don't know if I really I, it took me a second to understand it because they actually won't have the money to do automation, mm-hmm. meaning that they will just continue to operate the, the way that they are, whereas automation will probably happen in richer companies, in richer countries, which means that that workforce will reduce, but the actual income and GDP of those com- countries will go up significantly. Sure. So that makes the question of make America great again. Does that mean manufacturing starts coming back to the U.S., that all of these things start to be created here? But if that happens and nobody's getting paid other than a select few, have you is that about, a good thing or a bad thing? Have you read about the Chinese dark factories? Yes. That That's the freaky thing, right? So these these factories, because China's, even though they're sort of evolving into a service economy, they're still largely outsourced manufacturing based. And the whole goal is to get a factory to run 24 hours a day with absolutely no human involvement. And it's completely run by robotics. And all it does is self-manage, self-correct and spit out product that that's to your point uh-huh. yeah that's where that's going so um you know you can look at the misery and you can look at the downside but i look at the opportunity and i think what's going to benefit from this people are going to have to retool they're going to have to retrain they're going to have to adapt all the literature says that to your point if you're a truck driver you may have to become a truck software technician mm-hmm. right or if you are a fry cook you may very well have to become a fry cook software technician. I'm not coming up with anything <laughs> no, else. Right. But, um, but to something to that effect. Yeah. I mean, because if you look at where manufacturing in the U.S. has gone, we still manufacturing as much as anyone. We just use fewer people to do it. And the skills that are required to do it are significantly more advanced. So that's going to happen in almost everything. Now, where does that, where do you find opportunity? I think things like, um, Massively open online, right? Like things like uh, online education, all those different aspects that we're starting to dabble with right now um, in terms of how you train people, how you create new skills. Um, Even in terms of education philosophy, I think that could take a big jolt. I mean, the U.S. has been sitting on its ass with regards to how it educates its children for a very, very long time. So uh, I think those are all areas that could actually see a big adrenaline bump based on that. Yeah, I mean... I think we we were talking about the optimism of, of what's going to happen. I, I choose to take the optimistic route because, uh, especially these days, I think we're too, we too quickly discount the power of human beings. And not to be cheesy, but like we've always found a way, and there's a reason why we're here, right? Like we have we have no reason to be around. We're these soft bellied, weak little creatures that somehow learn to out- some crunches, dude. Don't say yeah. that. Speak, for, uh, speak for yourself. Oh, I'm oh, sorry. Too too hard body karate. <laughs> I may be an indeterminate my, age, but I'm holding myself together. Hard body karate. Hard body karate co-host, yeah. dude. Um, but you know what I mean, right? Yeah. Like we've always found a way to, to figure this shit out. We're we're inching our way over and over and over, and, and I think James touched on it a little bit with the education and the in the jobs. Like there, the large there's a. In, large section of employees that didn't exist a hundred years ago because there was no need for them nor the ability to predict yeah, the no one's sweeping up horse shit in chicago streets anymore even though that was like That's, a job well, i was just there and i'm <laughs> sad to sad to say that bill is still doing that every morning at 7 a.m sweeping up shit um so i, I think we'll find a way man and to the point about universal basic income it, these two topics go hand in hand right and in I fall somewhere above um, looting and rioting and setting fires to the streets, but not far above. Because I think what we're talking about is a mentality and, P- and, and really the spirit of universal basic income 
is not that you will sit around and do nothing. It is that the pain of paying for surviving will be alleviated. Therefore, you are free to do what you want. So if your life's purpose is to do work, you will move like water and find new work. Because I can guarantee you the people that are listening to this right now, whether you be in your car, in your apartment, in your house, or your cubicle, a lot of people are doing something that they probably don't enjoy. They're like, you know what, man, if I could just get like my bills covered, I might start that company I always wanted to start. Mm-hmm. And that's the spirit of it or, or be artistic and things like that. And you look at the great societies and civilizations that have come up over time. They started in the, in the arts. And the, the other argument to James's point about education is that's lost, right? So it, especially in North America, like there's not an emphasis on arts and poetry and all that stuff. So that's like the great hope of universal basic income is people will go back to the spirit of creating for what they want to create instead of being told what to do. So the best and in, in all the stuff I read about this, the best quote I saw was from PwC. And they said that the focus has to be on protecting people, not jobs. That's right. And I think that's the big shift, which is we're talking about jobs and jobs will change and so will the the world and technology, and we don't need people sweeping up horseshit because we're not riding horses around. The same way we may not need long haul truckers because we may have another solution. The question is, what do you actually do with those people, and how do you retrain them? So I don't know if universal basic income is the answer. Um, you know, I've I've read a lot about it. I think the most interesting thing to me is that. Uh, you know, for a long time, I just thought, well, man, that just, it sounds a lot like welfare. What's the difference? And in reading yeah, it, yeah. you know, the, the, the fundamental shift is that it is more of a floor as opposed to a ceiling. So on welfare, you can only make up to a certain amount or not be working to receive it. Whereas universal basic income just gives you a baseline that you can operate from. And there's been a lot of studies that prove that it doesn't lead to alcoholism or drug Mm -hmm. abuse like a lot of people talk about but i don't know where that money comes from and i don't know how it's sustainable and i don't know that people will all go do things that are artistic and that really drive them but something like that is going to have to be considered and we're going to have to answer those questions probably more from a people standpoint than a job standpoint before we get to the where it comes from and there's a lot of opinions on where that might you touched on one earlier right um but it I think it's, it's the untold network effect. And on this podcast, we talk about the snake effect, which is one of my favorite things and from India, right? And it's like, you, you cannot understand three deviations from the current state of your actions today. You can guess, but you can't, there's unforeseen consequences. And one of the things, the positive light on this is um, people think about like burning streets down and stuff like that. But people also don't understand that alcoholism, drug abuse, domestic violence, crime in general... A lot of that can be attributed to the stressors of not having money. That's right. Not being able to keep up, right? And so you're worried about all these things, but the reality is that those things might be caused by something that you're trying to solve. And you're like, oh, what if we just gave them money? Are they going to beat more women and do more crime? It's like, actually, maybe not. That stress level goes down, then disease goes down. I, I think it has to be right? support with dignity, right? Because if history teaches us anything that just like straight up, giving people money like there's there's it has since the depression yep. been a stigma attached to receiving benefits so i think it's gonna if that if that takes root that has to be a cultural shift and it actually has to be um packaged such that it's like okay as opposed to like well yeah we know the robot took your job here's some wick cheese <laughs> here's, a, here's a pat on the head and a twelve thousand dollars a year exactly so you you brought up an important question which is where does this money come from 
You got any ideas? Well, I think at some point the people may go away, but the profits don't go away. They actually start to become exponential. So you start to see companies that could be in the trillion dollar range that could possibly have a hundred employees like this podcast. Exactly. Like I think we just broke $500 billion in revenue That's off right. our podcast. And That's we've right. got four people. We're never going IPO. Yeah. You know, the, so the numbers you showed me said only 300 billion. I feel like I'm getting screwed. I bought a car. Two ledgers? Yeah. So, it's a big one. Yeah. I'm really upset about that. <laughs> but, but, uh, so, so one of the, one of the questions is, <laughs> I, I, I bought a car. I bought, I bought, a, I bought a, a large Chevy. Car. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the, the idea is that maybe those that there's a different type of tax. So if you are a company that has certain uh, revenues, but only a certain amount of employees that you pay something and, and fundamentally, yeah, fundamentally, I hate that. Yeah, it sounds kind of weird sounds, coming out of your mouth. But. It sounds uh, the idea of being successful and paying more is is just fundamentally different than where my views are today. Agreed. The difference, though, is that. Today, a lot of that happens through ingenuity and fortitude, and it doesn't have as much of a negative effect on people. Whereas, you know, when you get to this scale of I can plug in a million fry cook robots and I don't need any people. It's a lot of fries. Yeah, it's a lot of fries, and and we love it's a lot fries. of heart failure. So I, I there goes your hard body karate's. Yeah, right. yeah. All those fries. I do my crunches. A I do them. Soft but that's, I mean, that's one place where that where it could come from. I wonder if I, I mean, get you, a robot to do P90X for me. That would be even. That would better. be fantastic. That would be great. I would do. I would just do it all so day. A sweat packet attached yeah. to it, so it looks <laughs> legit. So you had an idea about maybe we just change the entire currency model. Well, so <laughs> do you, I don't know if you guys are nerdy enough uh, to have heard the uh, Planet Money podcast. How four drinking buddies saved Brazil. Yep. Raise your hand. Anybody heard that one? No. It's a great one. It talks about how these four academics. Uh, so Brazil was for a long time undergoing um, just. Uh, an amazing, unbelievable inflation. And they were grasping at any straw to potentially break the cycle. And it was so much so that every day, all the food in every bodega and every grocery store had to be re- repriced. Like, like every day. It's not like, you know, every week, every month, it was like, oh, well, we went up 15% last night. I got to reprice all the fruit. So uh, there was these four uh, economists slash academics that the government finally called on because they've been talking about these theories. And they essentially went and created an alternate currency and sold it to the president. The president was so desperate. Um, And it became what is now the Brazilian real. But they actually created a fake stable currency that you could use as an alternative to the money at the time. That had the apparent implicit guarantee of the government that it was safe. And so people need to believe, right? And you look at case studies like that, and you see how essentially what a cynic will call a bait and switch or what somebody else will call just leveraging the principles of fiat currency. The reality is you can do things like that as long as it's universally accepted. That's the word universal basic mm-hmm. income. If it's available to everybody, whether it's, um, I mean, I don't know if Elon Musk needs $20,000 a year, but um, if it's available to Elon Musk all the way down to he like might, a, after he this does. week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? He does, man. So we were talking about that that tweet, right? He needs some robots is what he needs. See, but he does. started building those damn cars. But some I, karate robots. So other than moving his desk to each part of the assembly line, the, the tweet, and what was we, that? Explain. Uh, so he decided, uh, and he's done this before, but he is now sleeping at the factory, and he finds the flaw in the production line, and then he moves his desk right there, and he sits there until they fix it. 
I mean, imagine if you're the guy who's like, I can't get this part to work, and then Musk just puts his desk there. Like, oh, oh, yeah? He's like dragging it down the floor. Just, it's like, gung, 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 gung. you just hear it coming like, down. God everything damn it. stops over there by James's station, and the next thing you know, it's like, this is my new desk. Oh. The, the, the amount of pressure is like fine line between visionary and a hole. <laughs> and he probably just he probably mumbles something like, "You know, I don't want to be doing this, yeah, exactly. right? But you're so dumb that I have to do this." Sorry, I had to make an example oh, of you. Oh man! And speaking of, I just took a quick look at um, things that people universally believe in. Bitcoin's at sixty seven hundred. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I believed in it, and now I need to apologize. <laughs> Just everybody. Remember when I said everybody has to believe in it, and I now need a universal basic income because yeah, I invested exactly. my salary exactly in Bitcoin. Right. <laughs> Buy the dip, everybody. Buy the dip. And so, speaking of future, before we wrap up, man, I, I'd like to be a little bit prescriptive about this because we talk about these headlines, and we started by saying like, who's it going to impact, and things like that. And there are young people in our lives. There are children. There are people that are in junior high, even in high school. And, and I am a firm believer that it's never too late, right? So the, um, Alvin Toffler has said the literacy of the future will be um, those who can learn, unlearn, and relearn, mm-hmm. right? Which means you can do this at any point in time, which is why I believe in the power of the human mind. But for the people that listen to this podcast, God bless you, tell your friends, rate, review, thank you, that have five, younger five people stars. in their lives, there are time there's time for them to sort of adjust, right? So when you think about the education system, you think about the young people in your life, what should, what should they do? Where should they focus? Um, thinking about 2030, and then Ben, I think you threw out um, 40 years from now, right? Which would put us at 2060, right around there. Um, where, what should they be studying? Do we know enough yet? What should they do with this stuff? I think it's less about what they should be studying, more about how they study and the passion that they put behind it. And that, learning, like you said, learning, unlearning, relearning, but Faster that has than to become a core competency because the world is going to change so much that if you can't do that, you're going to absolutely get left behind. And the difference between how we grew up and really the generation before us is, you know, there was sort of this corporate ladder. And if you got in on the right path, a corporation mm-hmm. would sort of Company take man. you up as long as you did what they told you to do, but there was a path. I don't think there's going to be that path. And I think people are going to Agreed. jump around and they may have 50 jobs. They may have to be able to move between all of those, but it's going to be on them to decide where they go next and the decisions that they make and in, in the career decision that they take that may only be for six months is going to set them up for the next thing. But if you sit around and you go, oh, I'm just going to get a job and then I'll sit around and hope that that leads me to the next thing and the next thing. Um, you're you're going to be in big trouble. Yeah, I mean to quote my alma mater, like it's it's really cheesy marketing, but it's I, I believe it in its spirit, which is learn to think. Don't learn anything. Learn everything, but learn how to think. ITT to Technical right? Institute's yeah. slogan is to well, learn to write. Hey, yeah. my, my class action civil lawsuit for uh, <laughs> Phoenix University. Uh, if that comes in, I'm going to buy more Bitcoin. Like, it's yeah. going to be awesome. I always wonder if New, Northern New Hampshire University is getting mad at all the press Southern New Hampshire universities. <laughs> Man, uh, James always there to take a piss out of somebody. Do you have a, a relevant comment to say this podcast? Or? What the question was. <laughs> exactly. I can jump on that. You're like, wham, once Brandon talks again, I'm going to take a piss. Find a pause. Got to find a pause. Got to find a pause. What are you going to tell your kids' kids? What do they need to learn? I'm going to rip our old boy Max Tegmark's advice in his book, Life 3.0, which is focus on developing abstract and creative thinking skills, and you should be okay. Um, When I think about that, you know, right now, 
it is a little bit in, it flies a little bit in the face of all of the STEM obsession parents have, which is like, if you don't learn to do calculus, it's going to backfire. 12, right. Like, well, because his whole point was that's been obviated, right? Like that there's going to be plenty of things to do. Calculus Nobody for can you. do don't calculus better that. than a robot. Right. Yeah. Think about, think about what, <laughs> Good think luck. about things that you can use calculus to achieve and then go do that. But so it's going to create a vacuum and that STEM thing. I've been talking about it for years. Right. Which is and, and so I go back and I speak at university. I was like, should I learn to coach? I learned to code. I'm like, maybe right because what happens is <laughs> i thought about this earlier with the office space and it's like i have people skills and it's like well <laughs> so okay so you physically you walk the papers down the hall no no, no i have people for that yeah. right so you could be the best coder engineer in the world but if you fundamentally don't understand how to connect with people and i, and I see it now where it's like you got the, some of the best engineers and so you can't formulate a sentence in front of a room to save your life right so yes. that pendulum swings and I think I, I'm, I'm with you with the conceptual things like that. And but it goes to like the classic art school bum, right? Like you're going to, you're going to art school and study art. You're going to get paid shit, man. Right. But like, that's kind of what we're telling people. It's like, understand humanities, understand concepts yes. and learn how to think. And I, I think that's the message message that can carry throughout. So, Again, the studio has turned into the world's worst sauna, which means it's, oh God, it's which, so which means it's, it's, it's too weak. To be a sauna, but it's too hot to be a fucking room that you sit in. So before we get out of here, let's just quickly talk about, please fucking quickly, because I'm <laughs> sweating through a black shirt. Um, uh, the coolest thing that we've seen this week. Me? You yeah. Go first? So I don't know if everybody else will think this is cool, but I think it's pretty cool. Um, Apple hired away Google's head of search and AI, John Genadera. And I first off... That's the coolest fucking title ever. Google's head of search and AI, right? Like dual like threat. One, you're a dual threat. I don't one just, wasn't enough. Exactly. I'm not just the head of like Google search. I'm also the head of artificial intelligence. Um, but that signaled to me two things. One, uh, Apple is finally starting to take Siri seriously. Seriously. Um, uh, they've been neglecting that for the longest time. And, and I've been so mad because between, uh, you know, Apple TV uh, home kit, car kit, they had an opportunity to start designing. Listening really... to a voicemail. Yeah. Shit. It's terrible. So they really dropped the ball on that. They're starting to take it seriously. But it also signals to me that maybe they're getting a little bit desperate because iPhone sales are finally plateauing and that core business isn't going to start shrinking. Yeah. I mean, we're the, we're the last savior of iOS, right? When you look at the globe and operating systems. Yep. It's like we are the, the we're, we're the Austin inside of Texas, right? Yep, it's like that's this exactly blue right. dot inside of red state. <laughs> that's exactly There's right. a small dot in the globe that still ios is dominating platform and that's us that's the u.s uh mr ben coolest thing i saw this week uh i don't know who on our who of our listeners are golf fans but if you were watching the masters par three yesterday uh jack nicholas was who's in his late 70s uh, had his grandson caddying for him uh and he uh let him hit a shot which is a tradition they let the caddy hit a shot uh his grandson's like 22 years old Makes a hole in one. Fuck off. Nailed at it. the Masters. Oh, and God, that's and amazing. It, people went nuts. I almost started crying in the airport oh watching this. It was the craziest. Jack Nicholas has won the Masters six times. He said it was the greatest moment in his entire life. Man. Uh, it was uh it was just amazing to see. You go watch the video. Uh it, just very cool. Yeah. I, and then the 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 saddest and coolest thing is there was another guy who made a hole-in-one, I can't remember his name, uh, made a hole-in-one at the par three, ran down 
the green the fairway to celebrate awesome. <laughs> twisted his ankle oh. and may not be able to compete in the masters oh. it's like the, but he walked it yeah up. that's that's highs and lows in about four seconds that's, man the uh that's good that that was pretty good to the point that i knew the story and just hearing you tell it yeah. i got goosebumps all over again i mean if you're a sports fan like we were talking <sighs> about studying humanities like if you can't sports attach to that in a, a father if you a, watch that yeah. and you don't feel anything you're dead inside yeah. but the coolest thing I saw, so coming out of CES review, we were like, oh, this is cool, and that's cool, and this is cool. And I opined about an idea of real-time um, intelligence about the health of your body mm-hmm. um, <laughs> examined through your excrement, right? The density of bowel movements and the color of the composition of my urine and all this stuff. Like You I can know, tell me I, right now. I've not moving. forgotten that. Okay. Yeah. Nor will you, because I'm building it right <laughs> the now. The poopometer. I mean, not right now. I mean, like, later tonight, but, like, currently prototyping. Uh, it's not going well. It's not going well. But what is going well is uh, our friends over at Pretty Litter. Okay? I am not a cat person, but I enjoy health and data. Essentially, pretty litter is what I just described for cats. For cats. So it didn't will, even do it for humans. They just skipped right to cats. Which is a, a true cat person way to go. Yeah. You know, like, are you surprised no. that cats were the first people? I mean, Jesus Christ. So UTIs, kidney stones, bladder issues, acidosis, all, all told through the color of your litter in the cat box. Wow. Which is cool as a, as a pet owner. But I hope that this is just a playground, a sandbox to perfect it, to bring it to my toilet. So I can know how I'm doing other than dehydrated and tired. We can leave the entire episode <laughs> on that Brandon's toilet. <laughs> That's a little bit too much. Um, it was fun to come off the plane from the Dirty Bird uh, straight into the studio to record this with you guys. Ben Gaddis, James Lanyon, Mr. Austin. This is Cocktails and Questions. Thank you for listening. Rate, review, tell your friends, and we'll talk to you soon. 